0: Welcome to Santa Barbara talks with Josh Molina, the video edition. It's my pleasure today to be here with Santa Barbara city Councilwoman Alejandra Gutierrez. I uh, met her a little more than a year ago, and she has been very influential on the city council, hitting the ground running and and doing a lot of really incredible stuff in her district and citywide. So it's really going to be a really cool conversation today. Um, how are you, Alejandra?
1: Thank you, Josh, I'm, I'm doing well, hanging know, in there.
0: Yeah, I know, uh, you know, we had scheduled this interview, um, you know, a few days ago prior mm-hmm. to the tragedy that occurred in the community over the weekend. So let's talk about that. It's in your district, but um, very sadly, very tragically, we lost uh, two young people who, uh, you know, grew up in this community. Angel Castillo, 17, Omar Montiel Hernandez, 18, uh, who uh, both died in a shooting on the east side. And um, you know, it's, it's uh, really sad, really tragic. And I just wanna start with that right away, uh, council member Gutierrez. And wh- wh- what is your reaction to this happening in, in the community and, and what are you hearing from uh, the family, the relatives and the people who uh, have been uh, deeply impacted by all of this?
1: Um, actually this morning I spent time going to both of, um, reaching out to both families. I went to, um, Omar's mom's house today. Um, my cousin was Omar's preschool teacher and I went with the principal at Franklin and, um, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. His younger sibling has not come out of his room right out of right after that, um, meeting with the family. I reached out. I said, you know, I can connect you with resources. Let me know how I can help you. I'm not here as a politician. I'm here as a community member and somebody that works with children and youth and family. And she said, I, I recognized you, but it's really hard. Um, we, as in my family, we've gone through two deaths now in this year, and I understand that pain and, you know, it's heartbreaking. I, I, did knock on the door of the younger sibling just to make sure that he was okay. Mom said, yes, he's responding. He just doesn't want to come out. Right away, I contacted hospice. So it was the first time that I actually contacted an organization using my city hat being really demanding. Like, I need somebody there by the end of the day. Um, I trust hospice because in my family, from the deaths that we had, my, my dad's brother lost his eight-year-old kid. Um, and it was really, really hard for the family. So my aunt went through hospice and they helped so much. So I know firsthand how well they they do, but I realized when I went to the second home of Angels, and I met Angel's mom, that both of them said nobody had reached out. Uh, the response network team had responded to Omar's, mm. but they just went and kind of introduced themselves. They didn't really do any counseling and I know it was because Casey Kilgore at Franklin reached, reached out to the network response team hey, to make sure to reach out to the family, but it was heartbreaking, Josh, with all the resources and money that the city has that these families hadn't been contacted. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful by the end of the day that the um, network response team or hospice will be in touch with them. But... This is where my frustration comes, and I understand the activist side, <laughs> because they did have interaction with law enforcement. The Law enforcement's doing their job, but where is that community support? You know, why, imagine if I would have gone, I was debating because of COVID, and because I'm a politician, I'm no longer the girl that works at the schools anymore. I was afraid of maybe the moms wanting to say like, why are you here? Right. Mm-hmm. But I know that when these tragedies happens, a lot of the parents are lost. For example, um, Omar's mom, um, she's separated from, from the father. So, you know, the father's taking kind of the father's side is taking care of the funeral side, but, you know, she's, she's an immigrant in this country. And so she, you know, the system is so different. Luckily, she has a sister that's been very supportive. She speaks English as well. Um, but this is the time where we as leaders need to show empathy and not trying to go out there and talk about this issue. It's, we need to let the community heal, um, but we have to be, we have to also show, give some support. Um, it's heartbreaking because the last stabbing and the death that happened on Voluntario en Casique, I mentioned that I don't want some another young person to die in our streets. And I take it very responsible. I, I, it's a responsibility because as a city council member, I'm voted by the people and they died on the sidewalks, on the street. They didn't die in their property. So it is our responsibility as well. It's a community-wide responsibility. Is the game culture going to disappear? Probably not, it's a society thing, I understand. But as leaders, we have a responsibility with the people, especially as a district representative.
0: What, what can leadership do? What, what, what would you wanna see happen with uh, the city council or the city administration? Um, how, what is a good response? What should the city do to respond to this?
1: My first thought and reaction, I'm just gonna be very blunt. Mm -hmm. They need to get out of their offices. They need to get out in the neighborhoods because it's really different when you make decisions based on a report they give you and how it actually plays out in the neighborhood. There's rumors that the city might have money for pockets of money to help the youth violence if there's suddenly pockets of money now, that means there was pockets of money before. Mm-hmm. We need to stop being reactive. I said that with the homeless issue under the underpass. Let's stop being reactive. Let's start thinking long-term. Let's have a plan. Let's hold people accountable. You know, Mike Jordan mentioned about the homeless. Like we're giving money out and why aren't we holding these organizations accountable? Well, it's not just that's our responsibility but it's but we have to get engaged with these organizations we have to understand the you know some of the loopholes they have to go through or the challenges we have to be out there engaging with the public don't just wait for a report and make a decision and you and as council members i feel that this year we've been we've had a lot of pressure and i feel like and this is me i'm not telling you that my colleagues have told me this that there's pressure of making decisions on the spot and some decisions if we have to do a little bit more homework.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a difference when you walk the streets, when you see things from the the sidewalk level and you understand visually what the community is like as opposed to reading about it or seeing a report. Um, Do you have any concerns that there's going to be a uh, backlash or not a backlash but a retaliation or response there are a lot of questions right now obviously at least um you know publicly in terms of um who's responsible for this but uh, does the community have to be concerned about maybe some sort of response to this this shooting
1: the community right now is frustrated confused and they're, they're grieving yeah and they at least in my district, it's not the first time, Josh. Yeah. So we know we have to be, you know, as I don't have kids, but I, I live with my niece and nephew. We have to be a little bit more careful. You know, if I would if I didn't hold Nathan's hand all the time I, in the next, you know, couple months, I'm, I'm just going to be extra careful. Mm. Um, but it's unfortunately, you know, I talked to my colleagues that I worked with when I was at the high school um, working a lot closer with the youth, we we went into a Zoom call and we said, like, here we go again. Here we here we are again, right? It's it's Santa Barbara. We're not like in Lompoc and Santa Maria, but we have to be alert. Yeah. Um, it's it's just really heartbreaking that you know we're in the middle of a pandemic and it seemed like we're we're very divided. It's a city that has the resources that are very divided. But I'm very optimistic because the day of the shooting, I got a lot of text messages from people that normally don't get involved. Mm-hmm. The superintendent, Hilda Maldonado, texts me, if you need anything, if I can be a help, please reach out. So that was awesome that the, the superintendent of the schools reached out. Yep. Um, there's... Lieutenant Hill, who was, I've been working with him on starting, getting the resources that the city has to how can we help the youth of Santa Barbara? And um, he said, you know, this is heartbreaking, but I feel supportive now that I have people like you and other community members that really want to come together. So I think the community leaders are now realizing we can't be divided. We need to get together and really think about long term. We have to come as a community. We can't come with these demands to the table. We're in crisis mode right now.
0: Let's talk a little bit about about you, specifically. You're you're somebody who's speaking from the heart. You're you're not talking in the abstract. You grew up in this community. Can we talk a little bit about what it was like for you and how you sort of navigated uh, challenges growing up um, as a, um, a young woman, as a Latina woman growing up in Santa Barbara on the East Side. Can you sort of share what life was was like for you and the things that you encountered?
1: It's funny you, you asked me this question because my mom said that, how would things be different if I was a boy? And I said, oh, I would probably been locked up. And she looked at me she said, I said, because in our family, you treat boys very differently and you've always wanted a boy. My dad would have been really hard on me, but in the era that I grew up, the only reason I didn't join was because, again, um, growing up as a Chicana, Mexican-American, Latina, Latinx, um, you have so much respect for your parents that their respect kind of becomes fear. I was like fearful of my parents, but because I was a woman, you also hold a different type of role where men can be a little bit more rebellious. But I I, I mean, the, just the people that I grew up with. And I remember in high school, there was a, this rule that passed that, um, cause there was a lot of gang activity going on. So at, at the schools, you couldn't have more than three hanging around. And I, I would violate that rule all the time. Like I would get into it with, with the vice principal. And it's a little bit embarrassing because I later started to work at the high school where I went to and the vice principal said, Hey, your name sounds really familiar. I was like, yeah, I was the one kid that would talk back to you because I would see this injustice where, you know, the, the football players and the cheerleaders, they all got to hang around in the quad, but. The brown kids, if they would hang out, even though they're not gang members, you know, they would come and separate you. Um, Santa Barbara is a very interesting city because it looks very pretty on the outside and everything's great. Children must love growing up here. But there's real issues. You know, there's there's homes that it's heartbreaking. Like you can't believe there's there's children and families living here. Um, they, the first time I met the chief of police as a councilwoman, I said, I want to change the perception that the community has of law enforcement. Because I can tell you, I know that there's good officers because I personally know them, but I also know that you have people that are working for you that are not very nice because they have stopped me, been really rude. And the minute they see that ID and the last thing, And they run the name. Oh, you're no, 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 no. You treat me the way you were treating me. And then I have a big mouth and an attitude makes it worse. Yeah, but I've lived it. And then I've also seen that because I'm a woman, they don't treat me so harshly. But I've seen how my guy friends, they get them pulled out of the car, guns pointed at them, like my godson, first encounter, the first time he got stopped, guns pointed, know and it's heartbreaking it's a reality but am i going to say that all sheriffs are bad all santa Barbara police departments are bad no i had some officers reaching out to me yesterday texting me i know you're the community's grieving please you know council member gutierrez and anything that we can help there's a lot of people in this community that care but there is a lot of brokenness in the system and you know the the gang culture is very subtle. Like you can't see it like in other cities where you drive by neighborhoods and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. where did I get myself into? Um, but it's, I don't, it's tough being a first generation um, growing up here in Santa Barbara because you know how rich looks like.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and, you understand what somebody that has so much and those that don't have a lot. Um, something that I do wanna work on is that why are the summer camps through the city so expensive? Mm-hmm. And I understand there's fees, there's um, liability issues, facility you know, fees, but <sighs> it's, they're incredible expensive, right? And they have scholarships, you know, there's private funders that will buy like a month worth of camps and they'll give it to the low-income families. But you can tell when you go to a, you know, I never went to surf camp and I always wanted to surf. I don't know how to surf, but I never dared to go and, you know, go to the beach and say, hey, can you guys teach me how to surf? Never. My mom, the other day, we passed by Haley, and she's like, remember you got a scholarship to um, learn how to act and you you received the scholarship and you only went for a week because you hated it because you were the only brown kid there and you couldn't make friends. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, mom, that's hard. She's like, you got a scholarship, but it was, they don't understand. They, They look at me as an American, as everybody else. And, but I, when you're the only brown kid, it's different.
0: Yeah, there's, I think one of the things about uh, the Mexican American community and just the entire Latino, Latinx, Hispanic communities, there's, we're all, there's, we're so different. um, Our experiences are different. So, you know, you're first generation here. So that comes with its own challenges. Um, My mother was born here my father was born in Mexico. So Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit, you know, uh, split. But when I was growing up in the 70s, it was, you know, 70s, 80s, the parents, my parents were assimilate, 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 you're going to learn English, you're going to, you know, English is the way for you to assimilate and be successful. And so I did not learn Spanish. So I am somebody who has to live with the constant jokes, right? You know, you you know that um, um, you don't speak Spanish, you know? And it's like, well, you wouldn't really expect me to speak Spanish any more than you would your surfer buddy who was born here. But because mm-hmm. you look at me, you yeah. make that assumption. So there's that layer. And then people who are bilingual, they're judged different. Like if, you know, a kid is raised to speak both languages, If they have an accent, because we have an accent. If their Spanish is better than their English, then they're judged for that. Mm -hmm. And there's all these shades of uh, or levels of discrimination that occur for um, you know people of color, specifically you know uh, Mexican Americans. You know, uh, you know I don't fit fully in with Spanish-speaking Mexicans because I don't speak Spanish, but I don't fit fully in. With the group of surfers or skateboarders, either because they all think, oh, you're more like those people. And I'm like, well, I'm really just like a lot of people. I'm like everybody. I got a lot of different perspectives and voices and thoughts in me. And so it's definitely a a challenge. And that's part of the challenge of Santa Barbara. I mean, how many times have you heard people come into Santa Barbara and say, you have poor people here? I thought it was just all like the rich town. You know, you're like, really? (laughs) how do you not know that? You know, because actually most of Santa Barbara is not rich.
1: You're from Santa Barbara. You know, you had it really easy. It's like, (laughs) uh, no, at least you had more of your kind. You could like listen to banda music and not people looking at you like, oh my God, what is that? Mm -hmm. You know, we, I remember, so my dad's a mechanic. Um, We had cars all the time. And he, my dad has been amazing. He would take his lunch to pick me up. And sometimes he was working on cars that are not very nice. So I, when he would come with like these old cars, I was like, just pick me up in the corner. And he's like, no, I'm gonna pick you up right in front. of And I was like, oh my God, so embarrassing. And one of my uncles that would also sometimes drop me off would bump Los Tigres del Norte And I would just be like, "Ah, Theo, like drop me off right here, right here, stop. Um, And he would say like, you know, this is your culture. But now I'm so thankful that they really, you know, pushed and, you know, they taught the Spanish language because it's helped me in my career. It's helped me to really understand the culture and the community. And it's luckily I've. For example, today when I go when I went to go visit both of the families, I was able to speak fluent Spanish, and I understand the grieving process, and um, I understand why they at the place of the shooting there's candles. What do those represent? Um, it yes, I I am privileged to live here and to have both of my parents, and the fact that they. They raised us here that I am going to tell you, like Santa Barbara is beautiful. I have cousins that live in L.A. in Santa Maria, Guadalupe, and it's it's a whole different lifestyle. I used to grow up saying like, wow, you guys grew up with so many cousins and, you know, the Mexican parties. I, I and in Santa Barbara, we don't really have that. And I mean, El Oteros were in Santa Maria and L.A., and now you see them more and more here. But Growing up in Santa Barbara, it's like you're you're in two worlds. Yeah. The minute I would come home, it was a whole it was like I was back in San Martín, where my parents are from. Yeah. You know, when I had my first boyfriend, we had to talk outside the house because that's how my parents were raised. He yeah. had to come and ask permission. Mm-hmm. My dad would drive us to the to the movie theaters and pick us up. <laughs> yeah. And then having an uncle in law enforcement one time. Walk to the liquor store. I asked my parents, like, can we walk to the liquor store to buy some ice cream? And then here comes my uncle Adrian, so you know, putting the light on us. What are you doing, young lady? You're supposed to be. He was just joking, but for my boyfriend, it was like, whoa. So it's 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 interesting living in Santa Barbara. The minute you're out, you speak English, you're you're trying to assimilate.
0: Yeah. So, can we talk about your experience running for city council as a Latina woman and, and how that was challenging for you or different for you? Uh, you know, Kathy, Mayor Kathy Murillo is the first Latina ever elected to a city council, ever, okay? And you're the second. So, it, it isn't as though we have this long history of yeah. female Latinas getting elected. Um, how did you get the nerve to run? I mean, I know that there's data that shows that, you know, it takes, you have to ask women to run for office several times, you know, before they feel confident enough to run. Um, it, it's, 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 a, it's progress. Uh, you have to uh, sort of get them to understand that they can win, that they have the confidence. How did you overcome that, that hump? And, and talk to me about your process when you decided to run.
1: So the first word that comes into my mind and and it's in Spanish is coraje. It's um, this anger of wanting things differently. And, you know, with, with the youth that I work with and the families, I'm always empowering them to challenge the system, to, to get out of their comfort zone. And when the seat came up, you know, random people would say like you run and I, I just know my personality. There was no way I was, I'm not a politician. They're going to kick me out. You know, they don't want to hear me. I just like to work in the back, background and get things done. And I, I loved working in the schools. I working with families and youth and providing them with resources and giving them hope and helping kids go to college. And then the political scene is a whole different world I mean, I was going up with, with, against Jason, who, you know, very smart man. He's a male. He can also come across as a, a white male. Um, very well-spoken, went to Berkeley. He was a lawyer. But I gave it a shot because I, I knew that people looked up to me and that listened to me. And I also had to be an example of what I preached, right? So I said, okay, I want things to change. I can't just wait around. I know this district, this is my home. I have a shot at this. I just have to work really hard. And just by me putting my name as somebody that wants to run for district one, that for me was just a, it was a win already for me to put myself out there. And because a lot of the families know me I wanted them and the the youth to see that, hey, if Ale is going to do this crazy thing, anybody can do it. Just go for it and work really, really hard. And I knew I had to work really hard. The hard part was when I remember I sat with the lady that I, she gives money to candidates and um, she's well known in the community. And she said that at the end of the, the conversation, she said to me, uh, I would really recommend if you can wear different type of earrings and I and I had a binder and she said you should really change the binder for a notebook it was a really thin um, binder and I had it because it had pockets and she's like find a notebook that is a lot more professional and please change the earrings you wear because they're too big they're too latina and I was i was very polite i was like you don't want to go get on i like just relax i was offended because i try to look professional but yes the earrings i wear especially those were given by my grandma from mexico that i was wearing that day and i walked out and i'm like what is this like i'm running for district one i'm not running for a senate seat or to be the president of the United States. And if I was running to be the president of the United States, like my earrings, really? And then I started to knock on doors and to hear the comments, um, to have young folks to hear those racist comments where heartbreaking. Cause I could take the punches. But when I have 21 year olds, 23 years old knocking and they hear like, I'm a Trump supporter, closing the doors or you need to go back to Mexico. I mean, these are, and then they're in the community they live in. It's heartbreaking. Some of my kids were like, I'm going to knock on that door again. I'm like, no, you're not. Let's just move forward. Mm-hmm. But we're working really hard. Don't they know you were born here? You know, I, I get this email from this older man asking for my birth certificate that I oh. need to show my birth certificate
0: Oh my.
1: or, you know, just some nasty emails. It was really hard. It was also really hard to see how male candidates get treated white male candidates get treated a lot better than female especially female latinas Mm -hmm. there was moments where i felt that people were supporting me just to go against jason Mm -hmm. people i know people didn't know that i had a chance of winning i mean you said it to a couple times like this girl where did she come from but i knew i knew my district i knew i just had to work really hard and there was also you young people and even older folks that had never voted, but I was gonna make sure they were gonna vote and they were gonna vote for me because they know me. I would not, I met my first babysitter knocking on doors. She recognized me. Mm. That was, that's home. I was like, I need to give it a shot. And surely enough, you know, the other candidate thought he had it in the bag, but it's it's challenging even on council. I, the way I get sometimes cut off um, because I'm so close to the issue. Some of these issues are personal. I mean, I'm right in the heart of the community. I'll, I'll lose my cool. I've been better about it. Um, politics is hard, but I'm doing it to open doors for local people that live here and that are planning to stay here to step up because it's really easy to point fingers and complain. But once you're in the seat, you realize there's a lot of obstacles. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think that for for Mexican Americans, people of color, Hispanics, I mean, sometimes you get only one chance to fail. And if you fail, you're discounted. Whereas other people get several chances (laughs) to succeed. And there's those little things, you know, like, I don't, there, there isn't a lot of racism that's overt anymore, you know, in terms of, of calling names um, or, or being really, really mean about it. The, the racism, at least in my experience, is, is more subtle. It's, yes. it's, it's incremental. And it's, it's a little bit of a, a lower expectation or a higher standard that you have to prove than other people. And I don't think people realize that it's it's tiring. You know, over time you're just like again, again. I have to do this. I have to say this again. I have to prove this again. And so it's interesting to watch you navigate that that world. What was it like from election night to the point where the final count happened? Because you were ahead on election night. I or wait. Um, no, I was behind. Jason was ahead, but I think the thinking was you were so close that you were probably going to catch him. And they were going to count the rest. And then you end up winning by eight votes. What was that like emotionally for you during that period?
1: The the world that I come from, we don't celebrate until we have something in our hands. So I was looking around, looking at these politicians and all these people celebrating like I won. My mom and and my dad, especially my dad's like, you lost. And I'm like, yeah, why are they celebrating? Like I'm behind. My dad's like, we just felt so out of place, but I had to give a speech and I'm like, why are they celebrating? Like you don't, I was raised not to celebrate something until I had it. And so, and then I had to wait for the second and it wasn't until the third. So I didn't, it didn't really sink in until I got sworn in. And I sat down on that seat and I looked at the audience and that's when I was like, whoa. This is what it is, and and a man came up and explained that there is a book out there where your name goes on to this book of like the mayors and the council members of the city of Santa Barbara. And after he said that, I was like, "Wow!" And I looked at my mom, and my mom all was crying. My mom, were, um, when we were younger, she used to clean houses in Montecito, and she also worked at a out in Galita. And my dad was the mechanic, and um. My dad couldn't make it to the swearing ceremony, but I'm 37. By this time, I should have had kids and gotten married. My sister is married with kids, so I'm kind of like the oddball in the family. Every gathering, they're like, "When are you gonna have a boyfriend?" Mm-hmm. Or, "Hey, the clock's ticking." So I came with the certificate you get, and I told my dad, "You might never see me with, you know, giving you grandchildren. You might never walk me down the aisle." but I am going to give you the certificate that you have a daughter that is running. is part of the leadership that's running this city. And he looked at me and his eyes got really red because my dad worked so many years in the fields. His family were were migrant workers. And he, he, I remember him telling the story that he loved Santa Barbara and he promised himself that he was going to raise his children here. Um, it hasn't been easy for the family. We've gone through a lot. Um, but for him, it was, I know he would like to see a grandchild, but for him, it, it, he, he was okay with it. He was like, okay, like you might not have followed the tradition, but well, like I never thought that I was going to have a daughter having that seat. So it's, it's a win for the family. It's a win for the community um you know I walk on the east side and the kids will say hey Miss Gutierrez or hey Ale and it's 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 great
0: yeah you're creating new traditions right I mean this never been done before and you're there's, found-
1: sorry there's a home that still has my my um the, the poster where it says like Alejandra Gutierrez for district one mm-hmm. and I've told them you could take it down they're like nope they're not taking it down it's So it's it's nice.
0: So how do you navigate winning with also trying to stay true to the person that got there, but also play the political game at City Hall? Uh, There's plenty of electeds who sell out the day they raise their hand to be sworn in. Um, They feel as though their work is done. And now it's all about sort of their efforts to show how incredible they are. Um, How do you stay true to who you are and and be effective at City Hall and not get swallowed by the bureaucracy?
1: Um, I don't know if it's because of the neighborhood I live in. Um, The fact that, again, this is home for me. I never thought of being a politician. I also worked in the schools. it, nothing was handed to me, Josh. You know, I'm giving you a sugar-coated version of what I lived through in the campaign mm-hmm. because I want to be respectful of certain people.
0: Yeah.
1: But I went through a lot. There's there times where I've closed my doors at City Hall and just cried and asked myself, like, is this worth it? I'm going against a machine that has years and years There's times where I drive around and I look around at the cars and the the people that live here and I say, like, if you only knew, you know, of certain things that are unfair on how things are running, but I have a responsibility because as a member of this community, and I know I'm tough, so, and it's because I don't keep my mouth shut, (laughs) I'm very vocal, I've been able to to get through, but people know that I, they know that I have a good heart and I really care for the community. I I'm very hard on myself, but I still surround myself with people that see my group of friends and my family have nothing to do with poli- with politics. Um, so because nothing was handed to me, I've always had to work really, really hard. Um, and I I was never part of this political clique. And that's that's not who I am. That's that's my work. That's not something that defines me. Uh, what's hard for me is when I get judged. But I have to let that go, and I need to focus on the things that I want to change. Because after I leave City Hall, I come to my neighborhood. You know, I do buy mangos from Velotera. I will play with, with the kids in the neighborhoods. I, I'm still Alejandra. And my parents keep me on check all the time. My mom will be the first one to say, you didn't look very nice with that <laughs> during city council. My dad's like, I can't believe you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right now, I'm not thinking about getting reelected. I have one opportunity to create the changes that I want to see, or at least to start those conversations, and that's my focus. So maybe that's what makes me a little different.
0: Do your parents watch every meeting? Is it like a special thing for them or? No,
1: but I, no, (laughs) my parents are not um, into politics, but my friends do. They don't watch it every time, but they do. And they get a kick out of, because they know how I am. So they know my face gestures and they'll say like, oh my God, here comes Alejandra. And they give me feedback. Um, I do want to appreciate your comment that you did about me lashing out to Mike Jordan and how that didn't look good. Um, you're right. That's I'm a Latina and that's the stereotype that people have. And I it did bother me when I heard you say that. I was like, what? But at the same time, I had to check myself. And I have, you know, I'm a role model in my community. I have children and youth and, and people that normally wouldn't see city council meetings are watching it. And that's not... The person who I want to be portrayed as. Mm-hmm. What's well, what that you, means? You I reminded- have to bite my tongue. Then I. Then I will.
0: Well, you reminded me because when you did, when I did hear that you were running for the district one seat against Jason Dominguez, me thinking Jason's going to win. He's going to get reelected. You know, um, who is this person? Right. Like, you know, and then we met I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and so there's, there's an evolution. And I'm sure that a lot of people who you didn't know, who didn't know you had that evolution, but I remember um, the forum, it was at um it was at the Franklin center, the, the library. And uh, I remember at that meeting thinking, Oh, I was wrong initially. Like she's probably going to win because Jason would talk. And I remember you would just like, <laughs> you'd have these reactions to him. <laughs> and I was like, That's exactly the reaction I have. That's the reaction most people have, but they they mask it because they're playing nice. This is somebody who's authentic, you know? And so I think the more your authenticity came out and that this was not necessarily a a, a groomed candidate, this was somebody who was doing it from the heart and was giving a hundred percent and was figuring out the politics as she went Mm-hmm. you could see how this is going to come together now. And then it came down to, to the very end. And you probably won because you're from the community and people knew who you were. And that made, that made the difference. What would you say to a uh, young, young women, you know, like yourself who are, who are thinking about running? We know women are judged differently than men. You know that a lot better than I do, but I mean, I see it in in my journalism and my coverage and, you know, I see it in how female journalists are treated and how male journalists. What advice would you give to, to female, uh, uh, anybody, Latina or not, who are thinking about running for office?
1: I don't regret anything I've done. I don't regret any lashing out that I've done because there's there's a reason behind it. Um, is it was it the smartest move? Maybe not, but I do not regret anything. And the advice that I would give is that if you believe in your dream and you believe in yourself, I know it sounds super cliche. You, you're going to have to work twice as hard. That's just a given. All right. It's, un, it's it's unfair. You already know. But you have to be five steps ahead. Like you have to be really smart. Pick your battles. Smart in the way where obviously if you got into the point where you're thinking about running, I mean, you've already kind of paid your dues. You know you, you have. The tools to run, but it's it's tough. Learn to pick those battles. Look, l- you know, have a list of your priorities. I'm. I learned that I'm not going to be able to sit, you know, save the city or or make these huge changes, but at least to start those conversations. Uh, look for allies. Um, it's it's hard because you feel like you're alone. That people don't share. The same um, concerns or values, but in order to create change, we're going to have to work with people. We're going to have to work with people that we might not like, but it's not about us. It's about the larger community or, you know, the future of how we want things to look like. So it's worth it though. You know, the, the hardest things to accomplish in life are the ones that built our character and that are at the end is, that sensation of accomplishment—it's—it's—it's it's, it's great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we learn more from our adversity and the things that initially we might think we stumbled or failed in, than we do from the overt successes. And you'll find that you know people have not had a lot of adversity. <clears throat> when they encounter adversity, they—they don't know how to survive. You know, and, and, and those people who've uh, had to deal with that for a long time um, are. Sometimes better equipped and how to respond to that. Um, you know, at City Hall, you know, here we are. It's 2021. We're still experiencing this pandemic. Um, we have this tragedy with the shooting, and uh, we had a very difficult 2020. You know, with 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 um, the George Floyd uh, killing and uh, all of the activism and the pressure at City Hall, and you know, you're kind of torn between two worlds because you know you, you're also. You know, you haven't sold out. You're still the person that, that you were when you ran, but you also know you are part of the government. So people are judging you as one of them. Um, you know, What's 2021 look like for, for you and your agenda? What are some of the things that you wanna focus on?
1: I wanna focus on my priorities for my district and to be able to be um, there for my colleagues, like a, a better team player. Um, I grew a lot as a person, I also grew a lot as a council member, I understand the, the players of the game, um, and now I know the process of how to get things done. Um, I constantly, you know, my, my mentor constantly had to check me, like you're not an activist, like you work for the government, you got you walk a really fine line on Hannah, like be very careful. Um, so for me to, to work with my community, for, a, for example, the homeless issue, I'm not, I understand I'm not gonna be able to solve it, but at least I'm gonna be able to start those hard conversations, start holding people accountable, getting the, the money to the, you know, to the proper organizations that get things done, uh, being a voice of the concerns in my, of my constituents and meeting with them I I just have to do my job you know I was elected by the people I need to listen to the to their issues and start pushing it during city council and I don't take no for an answer like if you're going to say no to me explain to me why because I have to explain to to my constituents and I'm not going to look like a fool I'm not going to say oh because there isn't money well show me where there isn't money uh so it's, it's been a tough year, it's been really tough because I'm used to being out in the neighborhoods, more of an activist and I've realized that um, I can't anymore. But because I know that world, I know my community, I need to be the, the representative when we have these closed sessions or when I'm up at the podium during you know, council meetings.
0: Let me ask you just about a couple of specific things: Ortega Park and uh, the renovation and the murals. You know, we've talked about this a bit. Um, you know, there was an effort to not um, keep the murals with the renovation. Now, the city of Santa Barbara is thinking about figuring out a way to keep them. It's sort of up in the air. Um, you know, what's your take on um, Ortega Park and the renovation, and um, how important is it to 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 maintain a little bit of the park's historical character and and not sort of just um you know make it another sterile santa barbara generic you know park you know what are your thoughts on the renovation
1: i mean for me it's common sense to keep some of the old murals you know because again but because i'm in, i'm from that district yeah you know i I learned how to swim in the pool there. You know, my dad played soccer there. Uh, so for me, it was just common sense. Like, why would you destroy them? Like, do you understand the history? And, you, you know, you wrote about it. I I worked closely with Manuel Uzueta and other murals I did with youth in the, in the city. So I, under and then my dad worked at the Casa. My dad, my mom, when she came from Mexico, she worked at the Casa for a couple months. My dad actually helped Armando to, Uh, paint some of those murals. So when I heard this, I'm like, what is this city doing? And I had a meeting with Jill and Jill, uh, you know, Jill Zachary, the director of Parks and Rec. And I said, Jill, we got to save. I understand that when you have a renovation and the plans are beautiful, I'm not against it, but we need to save some of these murals. You know, so when you have tours, you can explain to the community you know, this used to be part of the old building or, or give history. That park has history of the Mexican-American culture, of the Chicano culture. I mean, it's, you, you can't do that. You can't just come and say, we're gonna tear down this park. I'm sorry, you're gonna get backlash. Yeah. So now they stepped back and they're like, oh, the community. And then I know that they're now thinking about it twice because I'm a council member. How many times have the community members have advocated for something and nothing happens? But guess what? Now they have to deal with me and they know they can't just say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or throw something in there that's not true because again, born and raised there, it's harder to fool me.
0: Right. Yeah, that's such a a good um, card to play. You know, it's like, I'm from this community Um, I'm not researching it. I've lived it, you know, and it makes makes a difference. What about Milpa Street? Um, You know, we have a big housing project that um, was approved that's going to be going in. Um, A lot of people sort of look at Milpa Street with the perspective of, oh, we need to fix it up. We need to clean it up. It's not like State Street. and then there's a lot of people who are like, "This is a street that serves this community. It's very vibrant. It's very successful, and it has what the people who live on this side of town need." What's your perspective on, on Milpa Street and the corridor, and and how what um, what needs to be done, if anything, to that street?
1: Milpa is very special because even a lot of family members that have moved out of Santa Barbara when they come, you know. They wanna to go to Super Rica yeah. or they, it's it's kind of like our downtown. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, with time change comes, right? And change is hard, and change is hard for my district. It's very hard. Um, Milpas has this authenticity to it. Just, I mean, you can find really good Mexican food there. First of all, Uh, there's local, very local owner, business owners there that give back to the community all the time, you know. Um, So when I was running, you know, a a lot of the business owners knew who I was, and they're really excited. It's not like State Street. It's, It's very different. I mean, you want to get a taste of, the culture, not just the touristy culture we have here, you know, go go to Milpas. I the 7-Eleven project that I supported, I supported because of the need that I see for uh, work working work workforce housing, and also the I was sold with the fact that they were going to give housing to, to teachers and to law enforcement. Because it makes a real difference when there's teachers that live in the city and even more in the neighborhood. I work with teachers. Some teachers check out because they want to beat your traffic or they want to meet with the students before school. And some of these students have to take buses. So they it's hard for them to come, you know, at 7 a.m. And for law enforcement, it makes a huge difference. Right now, a lot of the community members are complaining because a lot of the patrol officers, they're really young and they're not from the area. So their first interaction is a little bit, you know, by the book, a little aggressive than when you have local officers that know the neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, it's. um...
1: Um, I didn't know because I'm not part of the I wasn't part of the political scene. I didn't know the backlash that I was going to get for supporting a project of these two developers I didn't know at St. George. I knew Alan. Um, Now I know at St. George because of the backlash, but we, we need housing. We definitely need housing and I'm holding them accountable to have housing for teachers. And uh, you know, they, they mentioned nurses as well as law enforcement and my logic was also that the people that would live in that complex would come and, and you know, buy in the local mm-hmm. local shops, the, the restaurants and the grocery stores there at Milpas. Yeah. I do want to clean, make, I want the streets to be a lot more cleaner. The sidewalks, you know, so many people have fallen because the sidewalks are horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of homeless and um, that need resources. They. I mean, if you don't live in that side of town, a lot of people were upset because I want to put the sit and lie, when I put the sit and lie ordinance that I, I really advocated for the sit and lie ordinance, like you're just pushing the homeless away. Like you're, you don't, you're very selfish, you don't care for them. It's not that, mm-hmm. is that you have those, the streets on Memphis are, are very um, narrow mm-hmm. and you have children families that are trying to walk through those sidewalks and you have, you know, gentlemen that are just passed out, or you know, there was a young woman intoxicated and she didn't have a shirt. She was broadless, you know. It's children and families shouldn't have to deal with that. You know, and um a lot of the high school and junior high girls I've had a couple instances where they come to my office and they don't want to go home because they're being chased by somebody that's intoxicated or in drugs because they don't want them to know where they live. Um, so unless you live there, you understand that we need to have the homeless go somewhere else, provide them with the resources they need. Also, the business owners have to deal with that every morning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough. It's tough. So I... I want to revitalize Milbus I want to keep the essence of it. I want to help the business owners, especially the Spanish business owners to get a more tech savvy because the city is using a, you know, everything's online. Um, to be able to use social media to advertise Instagram is huge, especially with this pandemic. Um, so I, I will be working with Rob Dayton. He, Uh, at the beginning of last year he proposed a a projects for miltas for the street to to make it bike friendly and also a lot better when people are driving because it it can be a little crazy there Mm -hmm. but um at the same time preserve some of the trees and just make it a lot safer so we'll 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 see Uh, we'll see how this new coming year we can start those conversations again. Because it is, it is costly.
0: Rob's going to turn it into uh, one lane for cars and wide bike lanes, <laughs> wide sidewalk. No, um, <laughs> I didn't know he likes it. His- no,
1: actually, when I first started, I told Rob, I want to pick you up on my dad's old truck and we're going to drive through the neighborhood. And I'm going to show you those sidewalks that you built that it's super hard to like, make a left turn. Like I need you to come to the neighborhoods where we need another stop sign. Mm -hmm. So he's really open to it. This is something he loves to do. You can tell he has a big passion for the city, but it's different. Again, when you're on the drawing board in your office and you have these great ideas for the city, than actually going and riding your bike or driving in those neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. But Rob's great. Um, He's, he's a really great guy to work with.
0: Yeah. I've known Rob for, for a long time and, you know, we've had our ups and downs definitely in coverage over the years, but he loves the city. He loves the community. He loves Santa Barbara. And um, you know, he's working really hard. Um, Let's wrap up a little bit. And I want to give you sort of the last word, Um, you know, talk to, uh, you know, the viewership, listenership, your community um, you know, we, we started talking about the tragedy of this double homicide. Um, there are obviously issues with the pandemic um, that are um, exacerbating all of the problems that we had already in the community. Um, I just want to sort of give you the last word and sort of, you know, talk to people out there about, um, you know, what your priorities are going forward and, you know, you know, what do you want to say to people who might have some concerns about the, the, the shooting and the homicide and the direction Santa Barbara's going?
1: We, we all live in the city. We're going to all have to work together eventually, like it or not. We, in order to move forward and to create a long lasting positive change, we're all going to have to um, work together. And I don't believe that, you know, one group has to lose for, uh, for the other one to win. That just creates more divisiveness. It's this year is going to be challenging because we're going to, start to face the consequences of this pandemic and how it affected uh, the city. I mean, the school district is now having conversations of not giving Ds and Fs and, may, and maybe that completes and incompletes. Mm-hmm. You, to elementary kids, like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna really come have to come together even stronger than the mudslides. And I, what I wanna tell the public is that this is the time to be more vocal than ever. It, even though the pressure is hard as a council member, give it to us, we need to hear you and you need to be very consistent and send those emails and make those calls. That's our job to listen and, and to, to be held accountable. And yeah, that's all I have to say.
0: Well, and then I-
1: it is an honor to, to, to work for the city.
0: Well, th- well, thank you for your time. You're really shaking up City Hall. And uh, it's always uh, a pleasure to, to, to watch what you do, cover you, quote you, see what's headed, <laughs> see you. what's coming up. And um, you know, I appreciate you taking the, the time to, uh, to talk and uh, be on the show. Well,
1: thank you for your invitation.
0: Yeah, and uh, you can find more podcasts like this at www.santabarbaratalks.com. Dot .com Th- thank you council member Gutierrez